Well, it's great to see you all and uh, wonderful to have a chance to be in God's Word this morning in a warm building. Grateful for that. If you guys wouldn't mind turning uh, with me to Acts chapter 10 as we're working our way through this uh, wonderful book, this account of the early church or the beginning of the church, what God has been doing there. We're in verse 23 starting uh, this morning. And I wanted to just as you're turning there, give you a little explanation in case you're wondering why we do what we do here at this church, why each week we faithfully open God's Word and just work through a a text at a time, Uh, rather than coming up with kind of felt-need sermons or things that I think you should hear. We literally see what God's Word has to say. My my dad sent me a, a verse this week that he said, you know, I think this really captures what we're about as a church and why we do the things that we do. I thought it was a really a, a good picture of it. It's a verse from the book of Nehemiah. And just before we read that, I just want to give a little bit backdrop. Nehemiah is a story about Israel coming back to God. They had wandered, they had strayed, and now it's their time of rebuilding. And as the city itself and the walls are being rebuilt, so are the people of Israel. And the way that that happens is it happens through the opening of God's word. This is what's described there. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I love that description. They gave the sense. In other words, they gave explanation of what was being read. And upon that, after this section of scripture, it goes on to describe how the people responded to God's word. It talks about them weeping and being broken and and, and a complete revival of coming back to the Lord after a long extended period of, of wandering. And I thought that was a beautiful picture of how there's intended to be a response to the word of God. It's to be taught to be explained. I do my very best job up here as best as I can to be kind of a a tour guide walking through it. And then there's the part that you're responsible for is the application. How does this relate to my life? How does this impact me? Based on what I've seen here, what needs to be adjusted in my life? There needs to be application. There needs to be sub- Uh, submission to God's word. Otherwise, there's really no point in it. So this is the partnership that we have is we tried as best as we can from up front, right, John? Uh, Walk through the text, explain it as best as we can, and then your job is to seek the Lord and ask God, how do you want this to transform my life so I can become more and more like you? So that's the explanation if you're ever wondering why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings. Let me pray with that in mind. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together and uh, already a chance to take the eyes off of self for a few moments, just even through our, our singing to put the spotlight appropriately on you. You're so good and faithful to us, God, and we recognize that even this morning through communion as represented through Jesus Christ. Pray now that you teach us through your word, through this uh, beautiful account of the expansion of the gospel to everyone. God, we ask that you'd stretch us, that you'd grow us, that we'd really be able to put the things of our week on the shelf and really engage with you this morning through your words. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and start in this story. And a little, uh, although a little backdrop I think is important, uh, Josh, didn't Josh do a wonderful job last week of teaching God's word? I was really 
uh, just impressed with his uh, heart and working through that. We're itching to clap this morning. I like that. We're ready. Um, Josh did a, a great job just walking through the story of Cornelius, and uh, Cornelius was a Roman leader, if you remember from last week, and uh, he was there, and God was clearly uh, reaching out to Cornelius. He was uh, pretty uh, lost, but, uh, uh, but knew of the, uh, of the great uh, single God that Jews uh, worship, the, the, the one and single true God, and he was rewarded for his pursuit of God in that kind of uh, the idea of Jeremiah 29, 13 coming to fruition, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He was somebody that was clearly seeking after God, but as Josh pointed out last week, just the idea of living a good life and doing good deeds isn't going to get you there. He was still in desperate need of Jesus. So we're still in the account of Cornelius, of God revealing himself and revealing Jesus Christ to him. We're going to see more of that this morning. So that's happening and at the same time that God's pursuing Cornelius, which is his kindness, he's also doing a work in Peter's life. If you remember who Peter is, Peter's the main leader of the original church in Jerusalem. Now God's expanding his view of who the gospel, who the good news of Jesus Christ is for. Not just for the Jews, but we're going to see now is also for the Gentiles. And you remember how he was doing that? He showed him a, a, a vision, and uh, Josh uh, described it kind of like a game of duck hunter. I don't know if that's exactly it, but he showed him a, a, a vision, and the vision was to kind of change his thinking about what was pure and what was unpure. You remember the, the vision that we walked through last week and what was unclean? They had different dietary restrictions back then. And what had proven to be a, a, a successful thing in providing separation bef between them and their adulterous neighbors, Jews versus Gentiles, now was actually uh, no longer necessary or it was actually counterproductive when God was in the process of bringing Jews and Gentiles together under Jesus Christ as one church. So he's pointing out, he's, he's doing a, a mind change or a shift of thinking in Peter, and he's pursuing, uh, he's pursuing Cornelius. And what I find amazing is that God is at work behind the scenes, multi, any, anybody else lousy at multitasking? I'm terrible at it. I, I need to have like one thing, focus on just that. Uh, my wife's great at it, I'm bad at it. But anyway, what, what God's doing is he's multitasking transforming and changing Peter to be more like himself with a, a complete view of the gospel, and at the same time, chasing down this random Roman soldier with the love of Jesus Christ. And I, I've heard so often people say, maybe you've had this conversation with somebody, somebody before, I feel like God made the universe and then stepped away and left it to itself. Just kind of pulled, pulled aside and kind of let it play or run its course to its own destructive ends and is, is no longer involved. The more I study God's word, I see just the opposite. Yes, he gives everybody free will to choose to accept or reject him, but the idea of him being uninvolved is completely insane. The, the more you open your eyes to see it, you're gonna, and that's why we've even titled this morning his active involvement. The more you open your eyes to see it, you'll start to see his fingerprints 
all over the place. You're like, oh man, he's, he's working there. He's working there. He's, doing, he's drawing this person to himself. He's, he's, he's coordinating this conversation. He's coordinating this event. He's on the move, and that's what we celebrate. And I hope you have eyes to see here, even as we go through this text. He's on the move in our rescue, and then also on, our move, on the move in our transformation. Take a look at this first section, verse 23. It says, the next day, it's talking about Peter, he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Let me uh, explain what's happening here. A lot of uh, crazy things going on. First, if you remember from last week, this is, this is Cornelius sent some of his military guys to Peter, who's staying in the town of Joppa. He's staying in just a, a small house there, uh, actually of a tanner by the sea. It's, uh, I, I believe just from uh, church history, it's a hut because it's Joppa the Hut, sorry. Uh, and so he's just in a small, sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh, so he's just in a small, is a small little uh, spot. He's staying there. The soldiers show up. That was bad. Uh, so, soldiers show up. Uh, they have the intent of bringing him back with them to this uh, Roman-occupied city of Caesarea to explain to Cornelius what he's missing, kind of to, to help connect the dots. So this is a huge deal. Nowhere else, and I love how God, you're going to see this even in your own life, how God coordinates experiences that you're like, wow, I can't explain that other than God's involvement, other than his fingers moving that. So uh, picture this. This is, this is uh, easy to miss when you're reading this, but this is a group of guys in a small hut in Joppa, hanging out, and who are these guys? You have a tanner who's considered completely unclean because he's hanging out with animals all the time. You have Roman soldiers, which were the arch enemy of the Jews. This is like the the, the Roman-occupied Israel was like, I mean, that was the ultimate hated person. They're all hanging out with the head of the church. It sounds like the beginning of like a bad joke, a, a Jew, a, I don't know, but you, you get the idea. This is, this, is, this is a big deal. God is coordinating this, and, and here's the thing to understand. When you're looking at, at this experience and this encounter, you're just like, you know what, this, this is something that Peter would not have ever put in place himself. A thousand years could have passed, and this, this little interaction that's happening there, this experience, that was never going to happen apart from God's fingerprints moving it. What I love about that is God's constantly doing that. He's constantly doing things to shape and change and transform us. For the believer to change us to be more like himself. For the non-believer to pursue them, to make himself irresistible in their life. I want you to just, as we're trying to personalize this, think through even your own life. What are some different experiences that you've had that you're like, whoa, that was, 
That was clearly God doing either, either pursuing you if you didn't know him or changing you if he did know, know you. I don't know what it was for you, what, what you can think to, what comes to mind first. That maybe it was changing the way you view, I don't know, forgiveness. Maybe it was something that God was doing, an experience he allowed to, to change your view on uh, faith and trusting in him. I loved how Josh shared his story even last week at the faith journey that he and Lindsay are on. Maybe for you as an experience that God was doing something to, to change your view about prayer and the power of prayer. I'll share one experience just from my own life where God took things and kind of radically changed a view. On the other side of it, you're like, man, I'm never going to be the same after seeing and experiencing this. I was with a team we actually took to Kenya, Africa. This is probably, uh, I'm really bad with dates, probably about like eight years ago. About eight years ago, I was in Kenya, was there and was helping a group that was building an orphanage in Kenya. We're there working with a group of pastors, a group of churches, building, building an orphanage that was going to care for kids there. We're out, and uh, literally our first day of building this orphanage, we had just uh, shovels, and we're just doing some, some manpower of digging trenches around the base of where they're going to have this particular uh, uh, orphanage built at. And on our very first day, the winds, in the, this is out in uh, Nakuru, a city outside of Nairobi, the winds were really drastic. And like there was creating these like little wind tunnel things. I don't know if you've ever seen those, like almost mini circle, what do they call those? Like a sand tornado thing. And, and we're there and the, the pastor hadn't shown up and we were supposed to be digging these trenches, but we're all like huddled in the corner um, on this one standalone hut. And we're just like, man, we're just waiting for the, the wind to pass. The pastor that we're working with shows up and I'm explaining, yeah, we're just taking a little time to wait for this wind to maybe clear before we get to work. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he, I, that's my bad uh, African accent. He's like, he, he's like no, we'll, we'll take care of that. I'll, pray, prayer will take that away. I'm like, uh, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's, let's pray. And, and so this man walks out in the center of where they're building the orphanage. True story. Walks up and says, wind, you go away. You stop in the name of Jesus. The wind stopped. The wind stopped right there. Like it was completely clear the rest of the day. Now you might not believe that story because you didn't see it yourself, but it was for me one of those experiences that on the other side of that, all active on prayer changes. You're just like, there's power just in the, the, the calling out to Jesus. There's power in that, that name. And so what I love about Jesus and about his pursuit of us is he provides experiences. This was an encounter. This was an interaction that would have never happened otherwise. And so now this group of misfits that typically wouldn't be together, what does it say that they're doing? They all get up pack up their bags, leave kind of Jewish territory, head to Roman territory, back to this Roman official's house, and they show up at this Roman official's house, and what does it say is happening there? It says that he's gathered his closest friends and family members for this big party, welcoming a Jew into his house. Now, when he goes into his house, what does it say that Cornelius, this key official, does? What does it say there in the text? says that he, bow, he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, first off, that's crazy pants just in and of itself. Like, the, like for a, a Roman official, head main guy to be bowing before a Jew, somebody that's typically subservient to them, bowing before him. And, and, and I love 
that Peter's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. What, what does it say Peter does? Peter's like, uh-uh, you, you need to stand up. Why? Because I'm just a man. I, I'm just along for the ride just like you are. I'm not the one deserving glory. Here's the important thing, and we've talked about this as a church before. It's one thing to accept honor. It's another thing to accept glory. I think it's appropriate sometimes to to honor somebody. Like In the honoring that we do is because to the extent that somebody has submitted their life to Jesus Christ, I think that's worthy of honor. Anybody get a chance in the last uh, week to kind of peek in on on some of the things that they're doing to, to honor Billy Graham? Anybody uh, like just just thinking about his life? I think he's somebody worthy of honoring. Anybody agree with that? Here, let, let me tell you a quick story. Is it okay if I tell you a quick Billy Graham story? So, uh, Billy Graham, uh, the, my my grandmother, uh, my grandmother uh, went to a, a Billy Graham crusade. I guess that would have been back in the '60s. I'm really bad with years. Back in the back in the '60s, came back from that crusade radically changed. She made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior at that event. It was a, it, it was a life-changing thing. Came back, my grandfather, who was a, a, a butcher and a pretty hardened man, pretty hardened man, she came back, told him about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. My grandfather accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, never to turn back. Literally, from there, my mom, her entire family gave their life to Jesus Christ, starting with Billy Graham. Then, my mom, when I was seven years old, be, right before bedtime, shared the, shared the gospel message with me, just explaining it to me in simple terms. As a little kid, even with a childlike faith, bent a knee, embraced Jesus Christ, my life has never been the same. Now, multiple, my kids, all three have embraced Jesus Christ. You start thinking about that. And so here's the thing that we did was kind of fun. My brother-in-law, are you tracking with me? My my brother-in-law, Randy, is the lead guitarist, was the lead guitarist for Stephen Curtis Chapman. Remember that guy? I was touring with him and, uh, and they were doing an opening for one of the Billy Graham crusades, opening for Billy Graham crusade. And we decided that we would make a, a card saying, hey, Billy, thank you for the impact that you've not had, you had on my grandmother's life. Then on, and, and goes down, it was five or six different generations because everybody's had kids. And, and everybody from each generation signed this card. And we, we, we passed it at the, at the end of the service. Randy reached across the security guards. And just as he's, because he's pretty old at this point, reached past, hands him the card. Billy gives him a nod. And we're just like, oh man, I don't know. Will, will he ever read that? The next month in Billy Graham's newsletter, he said, the thing that keeps me going as I get later in these years is seeing multiple generations that have been impacted for Jesus Christ because of the gospel. And he printed our letter right there in his newsletter. How cool is that? So, so we, even we had an opportunity to, to honor and tribute him, and I think that's appropriate. I think it's neat to, to honor somebody, but soon as it gets past the honoring point and moves towards the glory, that, 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 that's, a, that's getting into shady territory, and that's here. We, we don't worship men. We, we don't worship men. We might honor men. We don't worship men. And that's what Peter recognizes here. And he says, hey, listen, let, let's stand back up because I'm just a dude. Uh, we'll, we'll keep talking here. So here, we'll continue in the story. Verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jews 
to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Pretty cool description there. Pretty awesome kind of explanation where you see this is, again, not just a crazy experience that God has coordinated. He's also, and you can see this in your life, not just experiences. He's also coordinates encounters with people that you're like, man, I would have never guessed that. I, I, I never saw that coming in a thousand years that I would ever cross paths with, with that particular person. This person in a grocery store, this person at a bank, this person, I don't know what it is in your life, but he coordinates interactions. Here, this group, can you picture this? It says that they're all waiting. They're all anxiously waiting for them to arrive. And they're all there and they're like, hey, we've all gathered to see what the Lord has to say through you. How, how powerful is that? All the, all the kind of walls broken down. God's, court, God's on the move here, coordinating these interactions. And I love that. I love that. How about in your life? What are some of the interactions with people that you're like, whoa, that was pretty cool how God brought that person across my path in the impact they've had on my life? Any stories come to mind here? I'm sure if we had an open mic, you could think of like, man, I, I don't know why God brought that person across my path, but it's pretty cool that he did. I'll share a, uh, one. Uh, well, first off, it was fun to be at Stephanie and John's wedding uh, last week. And those of you that were there, hopefully you were blessed by that. If you don't know Stephanie and John, you should meet them. Uh, but Stephanie works here at the church, and I thought it was neat. Even somebody that was making the, the, tri- the, the I guess it's a tribute, the toast, uh, they're, they're saying, man, it's so cool how God worked through Christian Tingle, or whatever it was, uh, Mingle, uh, behind the scenes to bring this person from uh, over in, uh, in Atlanta to meet Stephanie in California. And how, they're, how about you? What, what story is it for you? For me, the one that comes to mind is my beautiful bride. How this little Canadian, her name's Adrian. Her name's Adrian. I call her Canadian. And, um, and I'm like, you know what, how in the world did that happen? Like, how, how did the, do you, do you look at some of your, your interactions? Like, you're like, how did that happen that I met this cute little Canadian that was down for an internship at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. He perfectly orchestrated that. Here's a funny story with that. She was part of the interviewing process for me coming in as an intern. She told the director, nah, I don't think we should hire him. But uh, anyway, the, <laughs> They did it. They did anyway, and uh, eventually I, I won her over, just wore her down, and, uh, and 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 so. But you look at those different situations, and you start to see. You're just like, man, God, it's awesome how you work behind the scenes with these interactions. 
And I, I, I love that they asked, I, I love Peter, he asked him, he's like, hey, I want to make sure everything's clear he, here. First off, he tells them, hey, just know that me being here is not normal. That's what he starts off with, basically saying. And then he asks him, what's been happening on your end? Tell, tell, tell me the story of what's, what, what's going on. And Cornelius explains to him the vision that he had. Kind of, so God's have it giving, giving Peter visions, working behind the scenes in his life. Now Cornelius is like, well, that's crazy because he's given me visions too. Like he, he's doing a work in my life. I love that, that. Our God, and here's the important thing, the takeaway I'd love for you to hold on to from this, is your eyes have never fallen on somebody that God is not in pursuit of. Your eyes have never fallen on somebody that God is not in pursuit of, whether it's the most subtle pursuit of looking at his creation. God in Romans tells us that that's one of the ways he draws people to himself. Or the less subtle way of somebody showing up at their doorstep, sharing the gospel with them, or maybe a spouse that's been faithfully praying for them, but God is constantly on the pursuit of people. I'd love at the end of our, our days when we, we have lots of time up in heaven to kind of sit back and watch the rewind button on every single person's life, and I am confident that every single person can point to a time of God's pursuit in their life. He's doing a work, drawing them, drawing them, pursuing them. And here, these guys are anxious and ready to hear from them because they recognize God's pursuit. So what does he say? It says, now we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So they're anxious and ready. Walls are down. Verse 34. We'll move faster through the remainder here. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Listen to this. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Pretty powerful explanation there. I uh, realize as a, a pastor, one of the things that's kind of hard if I'm sitting in a, a sermon or listening to a, a a different speaker after a lot of years of, of preaching, it's hard to take the, the kind of assess hat off. 
the kind of uh, judge hat, if you will, when you're listening to another preacher, you start kind of piecing together. You're like, oh, there's their outline. That's their big idea. There's the uh, sub points. And it's, it's kind of hard to check that at the door. It's kind of, isn't it, John, a little bit weird to do that as he's working through my sub points? Uh, and, and so, uh, and so, and so uh, when we go to conferences, we do, go to a couple different conferences a year, it's usually like a few sessions in that I'm finally like, put the assess hat off and actually just allow God to, to, to speak to you through that particular message. And here's the, the thing that I, I, I noticed with this when I first had the assess hat on with this first sermon to Gentiles, this, this, this assess hat is you're like, he's just kind of keeping it simple. Look, look, at, look at what he does. He just starts by walking them through some things they already knew. He walks them through the, the life of Jesus. They had already heard about him. No, notice that. They're like, hey, nobody in this region hasn't heard about Jesus already. He's not new news to anyone. He walks them, walks them through his life, points to clearly, connects the dot of who he is. He's Lord of all. Let's be clear about that. He walks them through that, tells them the story about him, what? Dying on a cruel Roman cross. Then after that, not staying dead, rising again on the third day, coming to be seen. You see this story there, verse 39, dies on the cross, verse 40 through 42, uh, walking him through his resurrection and then ultimately his exaltation. He was lifted up and made judge over the living and the dead. He walks him through the whole story of Jesus Christ. I'm sure there was more words said there, but you get the idea that it wasn't real complicated. He just stuck with what he knew, what he had seen, what he had experienced. I know, I, I saw firsthand. I walked with Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I watched him executed on a cruel Roman cross. I saw him rise again from the dead. I, I saw him lifted up, exalted. And he walked him through the little, or not so little, that he knew from his experience. And then ultimately, in verse 43, brings him to kind of the conclusion and he says, but everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the gospel message. Telling about Jesus. God in an earth suit came down, lived the perfect life, died on a cross, rose again on the third day. Through his resurrection, we have a choice whether or not we embrace that free gift. We have 70, 80, 100 years, whatever amount of time here on this earth to make that decision of what we do with that free gift. But here's the important thing to take away from this in my mind is you don't have to complicate it. You don't have to put more undue pressure on yourself than there is. Just being able to just explain your simple understanding in that by faith in Jesus Christ, that's how someone is saved from their sins. The impact of the simple proclamation of Jesus goes a long way. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Bill Berry, who's one of a, a regular long-term attenders here, at his 60th birthday party. And it was a kind of a, a nice deal. It was at a restaurant. And they had a time where they were doing some different uh, tributes and just a chance to kind of share some things that ways that Bill had blessed different people's lives. I thought it was really nice. It was, it was cool. It was, uh, it was honor, not glory. So some, some honoring things that were said, it was interesting because Bill's partner and Bill's kind of in the financial world and his, his, his partner that he's worked with for a lot of years, his wife did a tribute. And I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. I'm interested to hear what she has to say. She did a, a tribute where she talked about, she talked about, 
you know, back at their wedding, which I later found out was about 15, 20 years prior, back at their wedding, she goes, I really appreciate Bill because you told me as it related to things with God, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. I was like, huh, listen to that. Just a little nugget of God's word placed in this woman's life. She hadn't embraced Christ yet. This, this little nugget had stuck with her for 15, 20 years. How crazy is that? The impact and power of the message that we hold that has the chance and potential to redirect eternities is amazing. Take advantage of that. Drop those, the, drop those seeds wherever you can because you never know who's going to 20 years from now be sharing a tribute. Oh, I remember when Mary said this. I remember when Frank said this. I remember when John said this 20 years ago. Are you kidding me? That's the power. God takes that. If you wonder if God's on the move, God takes those things. He seals them in people's mind and he allows them to take root and can transform somebody's eternity. Moving on, this last section. So God's moving all over the place here. And now you see that it didn't take a whole lot to have a mass revival. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. To explain that, pretty powerful scene there. So even while Peter was in the middle of still explaining it, they're there taking it, absorbing it, and saying, we believe it. They, they, they don't express that, but the fact that they believed is demonstrated by the showing up of the Holy Spirit. That's the progression of how it works. When you make the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and sets up residence inside of the new believer. It's a pretty awesome reality as a Christ follower. So literally, as he's sharing this truth that a lot, a lot of them are hearing for maybe even the very first time, they're like, we're in. We buy it. We, we believe it. And the Holy Spirit shows up in dramatic fashion. And here's the important thing to understand. He showed up in this dramatic fashion the exact same way he had back at Pentecost when the Jews first believed. In this exact same way he had when the Samaritans believed. You see, God was making sure that it was consistent across the board. It wasn't like one group of ethnic Jews were going to think, oh, well, the Samaritans didn't get it, or the Gentiles didn't get it. No, he's like, man, you all get the Holy Spirit when you believe. He comes to all of you. And that's why it even says that they're amazed. The, the guys that had traveled with Peter to be visitors here in this house were just like blown away by it. And what does is, what is Peter then uh, respond? He says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That's an important uh, delineation that he makes here. Like, there, there, there's no separate. We got it one way. You got it. We're all getting it the same. And here's the, the, the powerful thing and reminder for us, teachable moment, is that baptism 
was literally an expectation then of a believer. Somebody that had made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ, the act of obedience. Does it say, does it say that Peter said, hey, maybe you guys might want to get baptized? Do you guys read that? I, I, I don't see that. I see. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion. It's a directive for believers. One of the reasons why you're like, hey, what's that big tank there? Next service, we have a few people getting baptized, or I think a person getting baptized. And it, it's an act, an outward expression of an inward decision. You see, God had made himself irresistible in these people's lives. And so they responded, they accepted and embraced that. And then the outward display of that was they're going to be baptized, showing, symbolizing the fact that they were dead, buried, and resurrected themselves. God had given them new life. God is on the move. God is pursuing people. You can't read this story and think, oh, yeah, I don't really see God in any of that story. I just see it as a lot of coincidence. You're like, no. Like, no, it's, it, it's clear. He's moving, he's orchestrating, drawing people to himself through experiences, through encounters with people, through taking the blinders off of this large group that all of a sudden in this Roman, Roman house, all except Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome point to our God who's at work around us. And here's the reminder too. These aren't just the good old days of when God was at work. There's still stories today. Still stories, uh, uh, accounts after account of God pursuing people. My wife, Adrian, uh, Canadian, as I joke about, uh, was just this last week, she had the opportunity uh, to share. My, my son, Chase, uh, goes to Hillcrest Christian School. He's over there just the first time this year. And Adrian got asked to speak in their chapel. Well, she was speaking and sharing just to, with the, the students there. Here, here's a picture of her. Uh, she's there, there sharing with the, this group. And she's like, you know, Scott, I, I, just, felt, I just felt convicted uh, to, to share the gospel with them. She, she said, I think sometimes we assume that in the, these groups that all these kids have embraced Christ. She's like, but I don't know. I just felt convicted. She shared just a heartfelt appeal, nothing, not rocket science, kind of like Peter, just the simple gospel message. Over a dozen kids on Thursday morning made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. How awesome is that? Like, like uh, I imagine if you sat down and you interviewed those kids, if you could get them to talk, because sometimes that's a challenge with kids, uh, but if you could actually interact with them, they would have stories of different markers in their life. Oh, God's been pursuing me here. God's been doing this. God's been doing this. God's on the move pursuing people. So how do you apply this? Anytime. Or the next time you want to buy into the lie that God has abandoned you and left you alone. He's no longer involved in your life. That is the farthest thing from the truth. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Oh God, that he would open our eyes to see his pursuit even in our life. Not just in the life of the non-believer, but also in the life of the believer. Or you're like, man, you're shaping. He, he had some major shaping work to do in Peter's life to get kind of rid of the, the old Jewish clouded thinking of separatism to this inclusive gospel. There was a lot of change. God's pursuing you as a believer. So rejecting that lie, that's how you submit to God's word in this text. That's how you apply it to your life. 
How about for, the, for, the, uh, for those of you that have maybe thought that someone that is in your relational circle is beyond God's reach? Based on this story, do you think that's accurate? Do you think there's somebody that's beyond God's reach? This, this Roman official in a random Roman-occupied city that never crosses paths with Jews, do you think if there is anyone that could have been written off as, oh, they're never going to come to know Jesus, he would have been the guy. But instead, God pursued him. And then here's the last thing as we're submitting. I'm just trying to think through ways to apply this as we're submitting to God's word. If God is that active in our lives and pursuing people with the gospel message, why shouldn't we be that active in people's lives? I love when you think about Cornelius. What did he do? He's like, man, I want to make sure when the truth is being presented, I'm going to make sure my family's there. I'm going to make sure my friends are there, everybody I care about, because I wouldn't want anyone to miss it because we have a God that's at work behind the scenes. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your word and the power that it has in our lives and the picture that it paints of you, an accurate picture not a distant, uninvolved God, but a God that's on the move, pursuing and drawing folks to yourself. I pray right now in this moment, if there's a person in this room that hasn't ever embraced you, that's never bent their knee, that's resisted despite your pursuit, that this might be the Sunday that that changes. This might be the, the, the Sunday that they choose to to accept, much like the, this group of, of people in Cornelius' house or the kids in Chase's chapel service, that they'd bend a knee in humility and say, God, I need you. I believe in you. I accept what you did for me on the cross. I embrace that. I pray for any person in this room that hasn't made that decision, even in these moments, that their mind would change, that they would acknowledge that, that they would call out to you, God pray for us, the rest of us that maybe have already embraced you, but we know there's something that you're trying to change and transform in our life. And your fingerprints are all over the place. Your hand of movement is there. God, I ask that you would allow us that same humility to allow your movement in our life too, God, that we would change, we'd let your hand transform our thinking, and not just our thinking, but our way of, of acting and living this out. God, we thank you for your patience with us. I thank you that you love us enough to not leave us alone. We thank you for your relentless, just crazy love for us. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Two uh, just practical things. One, if this is something that God's tugging on your heart and you feel like God's like, oh man, I, I, I want to make that decision. If you want to come up, John and I will be available after the service up front you want to talk about what it looks like to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Or two, I was just looking at this nice, sweet, uh, it's, it's, it's literally like hot tub temperature uh, tub here. It is. If you want to take that step of obedience, you have just enough time to go get a change of clothes real quick. Talk to us. Next service, you could be baptized too in that act of obedience and following Christ. Amen. Have a great Sunday.